Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howie. On today's episode of Leader Up, we have an excellent guest. Today's guest is Mr. Mark Averill. Mr. Averill is the administrative assistant to the Secretary of the Army, and we actually here at Leader Up are fortunate enough to have Mr. Averill for two episodes of Leader Up. In the first episode, which you are about to hear, Mr. Averill will talk about the safer federal workforce. And in the second episode, Mr. Averill will talk about the future of work. So let's get right to that first topic, the safer federal workforce. Uh, Mr. Averill, uh, welcome to Leader Up, and thank you so much for being with us today. David, thank you for having me. This is a great honor and a pleasure for me. All right. Well, thank you, sir. And I know our Leader Up audience is uh, anxious to hear about these topics that we're going to talk about. And before we start in uh, to kind of uh, the topics that that we want to address today, can you just tell our Leader Up audience what kind of uh, responsibilities, issues that you are involved with as the administrative assistant to the Secretary of the Army? Well, yeah. First off, the position itself has been around since 1789. Back then, it was called the chief clerk. And it was actually uh, a position that back then even so directly supported the Secretary of the Army. Right now, the position is, is considered the senior DA career civilian, and it's responsible for advising the Secretary of the Army and more importantly, providing direct administrative and management support to HQDA, think in the cases of resource management, uh, human resources, EEO safety, and additionally, enterprise-level services to Army-wide organizations. Think the Army Publications Program, the Army Declassification Program, the Army Records Management, Heraldry, a whole host of enterprise-level services that we provide support across the entire Army at the enterprise level. Thank you for that. And let's let's jump right into some of the topics that uh, we wanted to get your uh, your views on or, or explanation on. And the first one is this concept that is called the safer federal workforce. And what does that mean? Uh, and how is that going to apply to us as members of the Army Civilian Corps? Well, I'd be glad to. And it is a topic, no matter where I travel and the groups I talk to, it's one of the major things that folks want to hear about. So first, just some background, right? The president created the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force to give the heads of federal agencies ongoing guidance to keep their employees safe and their agencies operating during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Safer Federal Workforce Task Force is led by the White House COVID-19 Response Team, the General Services Administration, and the Office of Personnel and Management, or we all know as OPM. The task force members include the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Department of Veteran Affairs, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the Federal Protective Services, and the Office of Management and Budget. The whole goal of setting up the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force 
was helping to ensure that all federal employees, contractors, and visitors can safely work together. This all started back again, as we talked about with the executive order the president released on 20 January 2021. Since then, there's been a whole host of memorandums coming out from OMB or from the president impacting the whole federal workforce, whether it comes to masks, vaccines, entering federal workspaces, so forth and so on. The last major push uh, from the federal government came out on November 11th, and it addressed the federal contractor workforce. But that in itself has an impact as many of our DA civilians work with contractors in the workspace as they do with soldiers. So with all of the federal guidance out there that had come out, the Department of Defense tried to keep up with several what we call force health protection guidance memos. And we got all the way up to, I think it was 23 or 26. And then at that point, the DOD said, hey, we got to consolidate all of this guidance so that it can be go to one place where Department of the Army, DOD civilians can go to get that information. And so on 4 April uh, 2022, Department of Defense published the Consolidated Department of Defense Coronavirus Disease 2019 Force Health Protection Guidance. And what this did is it consolidated and replaced over 20 Force Health Protection Memorandums and brought them all together in one place. And as this changes, the Department of Defense realizes that, you know, we change often and we talk about that a little bit later. They will continuously update this for April memorandum as new guidance comes out. There were nine broad areas covered in the for April guidance. They were health protection con framework, or many folks know it as this HPCon framework, vaccinations, surveillance and testing, masking, meetings, workplace restrictions, general hygiene, physical distancing, and travel. At this point, I'd just like to first, David, talk a little about health protection condition or HPCon framework. So many folks realize when we started COVID, the HPCon was based on community transition. That is the rate for which the disease was spreading in a local area at that time. It was defined as a 30-mile radius. With the new HPCon framework, that was changed to what we now call community level. And community level includes three major actions, which is three major elements. The tr- local transmission, like we were doing in the past, the percent of staffed hospital beds filled with COVID patients, and the last data point, the percentage of staffed ICU beds filled with COVID patients. And this is directly related to the county for which your installation or organization works. So at the Pentagon, our old HPCon was based on a 30-mile radius in the national capital region. Now, in our case, we follow whatever the local com- the community level is for Arlington, Virginia, because that is the location of the Pentagon. So for each of the civilians listening, that's the big change is that it's related directly to the county you're in. And now we are following the community level rate, vice the community transmission rate. So again, there are four different uh, HPCon levels, and then there's a fifth we'll talk about zero. But the first is HPCon Delta. And that really is at the highest level, the risk level is high. 
that means there is a, a severely degraded medical capability and countermeasures, substantial death and losses at that point, right? This is where greater than 50% of the staff hospital beds are filled with COVID patients and 70% of ICU beds are filled with COVID patients. For our civilian workforce, what that means, if we are at Delta, less than 25% of the normal occupancy is supposed to be in the workplace at that time or the minimum required on-site for essential operations that must be conducted. So HB Con Delta, less than 25% occupancy. At that point too, because of the severity, canceling all non-mission essential activities and closing non-mission essential services. Fitness centers, leisure recreational, barbershops, those are some of the ones we lived through before. And then also on social gatherings, pretty much at that point, restricting them. HP Con Charlie, which is the next level down. Again, you have a high COVID-19 community level. At this point for our workforce, it, it dictates that less than 50% of the normal occupancy should be in the workplace. Also talks about limiting social gatherings to less than 50% of the facility or the room occupancy. So less than 50%. Indoor common, common areas and large venues may be closed. And in many cases, we saw this happen in the Pentagon, dining establishments are limited to takeout only. So many times in, the, in HB Con Charlie, the seating areas are closed. Talk about gyms may be closed. A lot of day civilians take part in fitness programs. And then also the highlight of maximum telework to the greatest extent practical while we're in HP Con Charlie. The next level down, which is at the medium community level of risk, right? And again, this is all related to the county for which your installation office or facility is in. At that point for our workforce, less than 80% of normal occupancy should be in the workplace. So right now, for example, at the Pentagon, we are at HP Con Bravo. And so we are limited to 80% of the workforce being in. And so right now, depending what service uh, this week, the report I got this morning, the Army was at about 60% occupancy. So up to 80, don't have to go to that level. But again, 80 is the limit. Again, in this case, permit liberal telework where possible, especially, and this is important for individuals of our members of our workforce who might self-identify as immunocompromised or being at high risk for severe disease. Uh, limiting uh, occupancy in common areas, right, is another thing at HP Com Bravo. And also, again, the reminder of keeping the six foot social distancing, what hap which happens at all levels in the HP Con construct. HP Con Alpha. Now, this is when we go into the low COVID community level, again, for the local county for which your facility is in. And at this rate, the occupancy talks about less than 100% of normal occupancy in the workplace with telework as appropriate. And this nods their head to that as we move through COVID and come out of it on the back end, the future of work will probably dictate, dictate the level of telework and not the HPCon. But all that they have in there is an HPCon alpha less than 100% in the workplace. There is some discussion, much like force protection condition, FPCon, we have never gone back to the lowest level, which in this case would be HPCon zero. We've never gone back to FPCon level after 9-11, knowing that there always is a terrorist threat. And so they're again, bringing this, tying this back to HPCon, 
there is some discussion because we now are smarter and know more about how quickly disease can spread uh, that we may never uh, fall all the way back to HPCon zero, which in this case, it just says resume routine standard operations. So a quick run through, but important for folks to know, especially for the workforce, how it is they're impacted by the current HPCon HPCon construct and what those limitations are depending where we are in those. And, and so what you're saying, sir, is that just to clarify, because I, I see the HPCon uh, indicator uh, in my building when I go in uh, and it that is based on uh, the county that uh, that the installation is in or wh- where the federal employees or the Army civilian employees uh, are located. It's not a a one size fit all across every installation. It's different and it's based on the health condition of the, of the County that you're in. Is that, and that is, is that correct? Correct. You got that right. This is that change where it used to be in a much wider, they talked about a 30 mile radius and now it's become very, very localized. And so across the army for our civilian workforce and those overseas, Everybody could be at a different HPCon level based on what the actual community level is in their local county. And so you can find this. They have this up. The county transmission, I'm sorry, the community level is up at the CDC website. And one thing for the civilians to know is they post a new update on Thursday evenings around eight o'clock, 20 hundred hours. So for the Pentagon to be able to react. They watch at the Pentagon reservation on when the new numbers come out on Thursday night. And then we have an SOP that if the HPCon changes either up or down, then we will move to that new HPCon on Monday morning at 0500 based on the updated data that comes out on Thursday. Now that SOP may be different uh, at different installations across the Army, but I just give you an example of how, what we're using and how we're reacting on the Pentagon reservation uh, here in D.C. Uh, the second item that you talked about on that list was uh, vaccines, vaccination. And is there anything uh, that you need to share with uh, members of the Army Civilian Corps about that component of the safer federal workforce? Well, right now, David, as you know, the Department of Defense and the, the civilian workforce they had been mandated to be fully vaccinated by November 22nd, 2022. But most folks know there was an injunction put in place that uh, did not direct DA civilians to have to be fully vaccinated. And the latest update we just received is for the DA civilian workforce and all of the federal workforce, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decided last week to rehear the plaintiff's case from Feds for Medical Freedom, which now keeps the injunction in place against the federal government and DOD mandate uh, requiring mandatory vaccinations for for civilian employees. They anticipate that the next hearing on this case will be the 12th of September. So we probably will see no changes in this status until at least sometime after September. One thing that still is in place reference vaccines is a requirement for testing, right? And so even though there is not a mandate to be vaccinated, those folks that are not fully vaccinated 
when the community level under the HP con construct is at high or medium in the local county, they do have to undergo weekly testing. Now, one bit of confusion is if you are fully teleworking or a remote worker and not coming into the workplace, you do not have to get tested weekly uh, based on you, your vaccination status. So again, those that are unvaccinated, the requirement to get tested, right? So we call it for surveillance testing when the community level is high or medium. Okay. And uh, thank you for that. That's uh, actually, I think that uh, clarifies a lot of that for our leader up audience. And um, the, the other thing that I wanted to ask about on that list was meetings. Uh, and just what, what does that mean for us as, as part of the army civilian corps? Right. So for on meetings, right. There is depending on the community level is the impact of meetings. So what really is the thing we call it the 50 rule. So where there is the community level is high. And if you were planning a get together, a conference, a meeting, then you must go to, in the case of the army, to the undersecretary to get approved to have a meeting that is more than 50 part participants. And so many times as one of those enterprise level uh, services we deal with in OAA is conference policy. And so when folks want to pull, put a conference together, whether it be a senior leader conference, our major just had one recently, we have to look at and have a, a notification in there that is all contingent on the community level at the time of the meeting. And so some of the meetings are quite big as you get trying to get folks together. But again, when it is high, you have to go in our case in the army to the undersecretary of the army to get permission to hold that. What the army does for our meetings, we always uh, tell folks to utilize the army public health center command folks, and they will come out and do an assessment of the facility, for instance, for what you're going to do. They watch how quickly the air moves, what the square footage is, can you socially distance? And so they are a great uh, you know, tool for any of our civilians that are planning to have a meeting or a conference uh, that's going to be over 50 people. So utilize them. We utilize the old time. They've actually come in for me and done a study of the Pentagon auditorium during COVID and gave us limitations of how big, uh, how many people can be not only out in the seating area, but how many people can be up on the stage. So they're super, super helpful. But the Army, Army public health folks are a great asset when you are planning meetings. But again, if it's community level high, the meeting organizers have to attain approval uh, from the in this the head of agency, which would be the secretary. But that's been delegated down to the under. And and that is that is contingent on the HPCon. Is that how that works? Right. So many of these meetings are planned months in advance, and so there is always the kids that give the heads up to the folks that hey, based on the current DoD guidance, right, you might have been planning to have. 200 people, right? Nice round number, 200 people at this meeting, conference, event. But if the, uh, if in the case of the meeting, it goes to the uh, area, the county, and again, we talk about the county, goes to HPCon level high, then you would have to get approval 
from the undersecretary of the army to continue on with that. That's why we advise folks to have a backup plan. And usually that backup plan is obviously a, a significant reduced in-person uh, gathering and then have as a backup uh, virtual, which many people during COVID have done successfully uh, having virtual events and in many cases having some of the same impact as folks being in the room together. And the other, the other uh, item on that list that I wanted to ask you about is masking. What, what is, is, is there policy? Is there guidance? What, what can I expect regarding uh, wearing a mask or not wearing a mask uh, as, as a member of the Army Civilian Corps? All right. And so again, we drop back to the HPCOM framework. And in this case, when your particular installation, which is in a county, if the county community level is high, then inside, indoors, the facility, so a DOD Army facility, mask wearing is required for all individuals. That includes soldiers, DOD civilians, and contractors. So again, related to the HPCON, when the county you are in is at community level high, and in this case, HPCON Charlie or HPCON Delta, then you must wear a mask indoors in DOD or in Army federal facilities. Now, one thing we highlight, individuals can choose to wear a mask regardless of the community level, right? And so many folks, because of uh, care, you know, wondering, uh, caring about folks at home, interaction with, uh, you know, senior uh, parents or whatever it is, sometimes children, uh, to wear a mask all the time is absolutely encouraged if you so choose to. So I get asked that a lot of times. And that's, again, for our DA civilians, if you feel more comfortable while we're in this COVID environment, wearing a mask indoors, even though the community or the county you're in is not H, uh, you know, community level high, please do so. And so, again, when the community level is at medium or low, right, there is no requirement to wear a mask indoors. And is, is that a, that, that's not really a, a decision that a, a commander makes or an installation commander makes necessarily. It's just based off of that HP con in, in the, the county that they're in. Correct. The garrison commanders or the senior mission commanders in this case, usually, sometimes it's just the agency head who may be in a lease facility in a county, right? Someplace, uh, you know, in different places where the army is, will make that call. But yeah, they, they need to be attuned, like we talked about, to the community level. And again, that assigns to our HP con level. But when it's high, then as soon as possible, I told you how we react in the Pentagon comes out Thursday night. By Monday morning, that new guidance is out and folks are in mass. Now, there are some exceptions to mask wearing and the ones that folks know the best is, you know, if you're an individual alone in an office where there's a, you know, a door closed and uh, floor to ceiling walls, then it's okay to come out of your mask. And then the other big one we always talk about when food courts and those are available, again, for limited periods to do eating or drinking, eating or drinking, you again, you allowed to pull off your mask. There are some times too for security checks, right? If you're coming through a security check, they may ask you to drop your mask momentarily so they, they can check your ID and photo. But again, in mo- there's very limited cases where you can do that. And again, this is only when we are at a community level high or HP Con Charlie and Bravo indoors in a federal facility. 
And, and so I, as a member of the Army Civilian Corps, it's, it's possible that uh, I'm working at an installation where, uh, based on our HPCon, I'm required to wear a mask, and then I go to another installation for whatever reason, in a di- if it's in a different county, and people there are not wearing a mask, it, it's all based off of that HPCon, which is based on the county health uh, condition. And so it's not, uh, the policy is not being uh, enforced or it's being uh, interpreted in a different way. It's that different installations that are in different counties may have different masking requirements. That is correct. And again, it's all, in this case, it's all very localized, aligned with the county community level for where our DA civilians are working, correct? And the, the one other item on that list that uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about, because uh, it's, it's going to affect us here at Army Management Staff College, because we have started, we're recording this in uh, July of 2022, and we have started uh, face-to-face classes back here at Fort Leavenworth and we're doing mobile education teams and and the topic is travel and that's one of the items on that list so what what do we need to know as members of the Army Civilian Corps about traveling uh, and the safer federal workforce well David it's interesting uh, back on 3 June the CDC provided new guidance on travel and the Department of Defense on the 29th of June has just updated the travel policy, uh, which impacts DA civilians. Overall, what it highlights is that many of the things prior to this that were required are now recommended. And so I'll give you a f- couple examples. In the past, pre-travel viral testing was required one to three days prior to departure on either a commercial or a military for military travel uh, to or from the United States. Right now, that requirement, it is only recommended that you get tested one to three days prior to departure. One of the key elements that was removed, and we've seen it lately in the press, is before travelers, before they could return to the United States, they had to return with a valid negative COVID test. Um, but right now, that is no longer required, and you will not be denied entry coming back to the United States without uh, that negative test or vaccination. Um, the other thing right now is post-international travel. So this could be students coming back uh, to the course. Uh, they used to, it was required for DA civilians to get testing three to five days after completion of travel. Right now, that has only moved to recommended for DOD civilians. So again, the last thing is, it is recommended that individuals maintain a proof of negative tests during travel before that was a requirement. So again, as a whole, the the updated guidance has moved things in the case of testing or carrying your COVID card with you uh, from required to recommended only. And so we've evened up the DOD policy with the CDC's recommendations. And so I as, I, as a member of the Army Civilian Corps, um, I, I, am, I am capable of traveling. Uh, I'm, uh, the organization supports uh, us traveling for training, education, or, or anything that, that's job-related now. So that's, that's, that's opening up at this point for members of the Army Civilian Corps. 
Absolutely, right? The, the idea is everything that we had in place that was formally required, it is now highly recommended. And so that will be a personal choice for the DA civilians. But as the adjustment was just made here in the, the DOD guidance came out on 29 June, the update, it adjusted uh, the big area was in the testing requirements. So again, now there is, a you know, for DA civilians, there is a part, you know, the movement into international flying from CONUS to overseas. One of the things they highlight is we still as good neighbors, so to speak, in respect to the host nation, if there are certain things that they have in place, then again, as good, uh, good neighbors, good hosts to our, to our host nations, that we will follow any of their requirements uh, that may not be listed currently in the DOD policy. Mr. Averill, thank you for that discussion about the safer federal workforce. Hopefully, we've been able to clear up some things for our Leader Up audience out there. And Leader Up audience, uh, stay tuned for the second episode featuring Mr. Mark Averill when we will talk about another important topic for Army civilians, and that is the future of work. And join us again next time for another episode of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.